Welcome to the Geelong Chamber of Commerce's podcast, Thriving Geelong, People with Purpose, where we will give you exclusive access to business leaders who are rethinking the way we do things and redefining our city's exciting future. During each episode, we'll inspire your own journey as we uncover the values that support our guests' decision-making and what drives them to be the best they can be. The Thriving Geelong People with Purpose podcast comes to you from the Geelong Chamber of Commerce and is hosted by Chamber CEO Ben Flynn. Hello ladies and gentlemen, my name's Ben Flynn and I'm the CEO of the Geelong Chamber of Commerce and I'd like to welcome you to our fifth instalment of our podcast series, Thriving Geelong People with Purpose. Today we're all really lucky to be joined by Francis Diver, the CEO of Barwon Health. Welcome Francis. G'day Ben, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure and certainly timely given uh, all of the COVID experience we're working through at the moment. How are you feeling? You're still upright and you're still happy and happy and healthy? Absolutely. Certainly it's been a very busy time and it's a very unique experience in all of our careers to have to deal with this pandemic. But we're a pretty resilient mob here and hospitals and health services are pretty good in a crisis, I think. So uh, we feel pretty ready and prepared actually. So how many hours of the day are you working or should I ask how many day, hours of the day are you sleeping at the moment? Look, to be honest, I sleep pretty well most nights. I, I, it's probably honest to say that there was a couple of weeks in April there where I was feeling pretty worried uh, when, you know, I'd watched that, that curve very closely and I was, you know, every day racing to find out how many people had been confirmed uh, and I was feeling pretty concerned about the trajectory. But really, since Easter, I think, you know, pretty clear that we've um, certainly made fantastic progress. So I'm sleeping pretty well at, at night now. Um, but certainly it's been a very intense period and a, and a bit of a long haul. I think this morning we were saying we were 10 weeks into our daily incident management team meetings and just checking in how everybody's progressing. Yeah. Very good. Very good. And, and look, we will, we will spend quite a bit of time really just getting some unique insights into how Bowen Health and how your staff and your people have worked through the crisis. And and well done, by the way. I think that needs to be said. Very, everyone must be very pleased with your performance and your communications over this period. So, so well done. So, Francis, going back to the beginning, because we like to unpack a little bit about what makes our leaders tick through this, through this podcast series. And I take it you're from New Zealand and, and you grew up there? That's right. Yep. I'm a Kiwi. Once a Kiwi, always a Kiwi. In fact, I'm actually an Australian citizen now and I've been in Australia longer than I have um, longer than I lived in New Zealand but as you noticed I'll still hang on to my accent and freshen it up every occasionally when I pop back to New Zealand for a visit. So yes I I was um, raised in New Zealand and did my schooling and did um, my nursing education there so I'm originally a nurse Mm -hmm. and I um, completed that there and then when I was in my early 20s as many uh, Kiwis do I packed the backpack and popped across the ditch and and have lived uh, mostly in Melbourne, also country Victoria, Canberra, and then now in Geelong. So even though, you know, Victoria is home, I still, I guess, identify as a Kiwi. Oh, yeah, right. And especially when the rugby comes around, uh, you, you need to <laughs> be true to your alliances. So, And which part <laughs> of New Zealand did you grow up? So I was born in Christchurch, so in the South Island. And then I moved around a couple of times, uh, Wellington, Napier, Auckland. So, you know, I've, I've had a fair spread of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you talked about doing your study and, and starting as a nurse. My understanding is you started out in, 
as a midwife. Is that true? Yes, yeah, so I was a nurse. So I did my nursing training in New Zealand in Wellington and then worked for a few years. And then when I came over to Australia, I did my um, midwifery training and I worked as a midwife down in the Latrobe Valley for a while and a couple of other places. So I'm probably midwifery of my clinical practice. I guess midwifery was my great love. I um, really loved working with uh, pregnant women and their families. And, you know, there, there's nothing better than helping give birth to a baby. So that, that is, I guess, my, that was the kind of clinical peak for me. I really, I really did enjoy that. Then I decided that I wanted to move into different areas and, and then kind of that, I guess, ended up uh, shifting me into a management career in the health industry. Fantastic. And we'll, t- we'll talk a little bit more about your career, but, but in, in, in your younger days or back in New Zealand, is there any, any items to note? Did you, were you an accomplished sports person or did you enjoy snowboarding in those beautiful mountains over there or fishing with your grandparents for trout on the weekends anything um anything that you could tell us about that oh look i i wouldn't call me a standout child i was <laughs> um brought up in a big catholic a very conservative uh big catholic family mm-hmm. uh who really was you know very um you know lived in a lived in a small i guess a small life i suppose in christchurch in that family and probably not anything you know i wasn't a great sporting hero i think the only thing i'd say that probably might resonate with some people my, my parents used to have these expressions with us kids and they used to say to me you've got enough cheek for another row of teeth uh and that was always the expression that stuck to me um and perhaps that's something that maybe some people would still identify with me I, I was never afraid of speaking out and I suppose we'll get to it but that's probably held you in pretty good stead during some of your negotiations over the years yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely very good so you, you did you started to work in in management and you worked you're an executive director of the department of health at one stage more recently weren't you yeah, I look at my my sort of career path has been kind of interesting and, and one that uh, has a lot of breadth. So I've worked in lots of different areas um, at a sort of you know middle management level, and then I ended up going into the Department of Health and Human Services, and I ended up spending something like twelve years in there, mm-hmm. and uh, eventually rose to the position of deputy secretary, one of a number of deputy secretaries. A job I really loved. I I really loved working for the department. I loved that system-wide view. I loved the combination of sort of policy and then supporting the health system to deliver the right things. Joyed, I guess, the relationships that we could form as a partnership between the department and health services and really engaging kind of management and boards and senior clinicians to drive the kind of reforms that um, people were interested in doing. So I loved that time in there and had great people to work with and worked for both sides of government, and, and it was a fantastic time. But then it was time, I thought, to move on. I'd sort of, you know, done my time, and I think 12 years is a good effort. And I was asked uh, to go and help out at the Country Fire Authority. And that was that was quite a surprise. You know, I hadn't ever thought of working in the fire services, but you could see some parallels from having worked uh, with ambulance services um, in the department when I'd worked with them. So there was a kind of, you know, there was an obvious translation over into to the fire services. So I went out there as the chief, interim chief executive, sort of in the middle of the crisis, I suppose. There'd been a whole lot of fuss, as many Victorians would remember, about the Country Fire Authority. So I went out there, it's probably just over four years ago now, and spent 20 months 
leading that organisation through a pretty tricky time, actually, but, you know, a thoroughly enjoyable time as well. Yep. And um, what was the outcome of the CFA negotiations during that time? Oh, look, it's a long, complex scenario, the, the fire services reform, but I think what's happened is that the government has passed some legislation to create, really do some very big reforms across fire services and create a Fire Rescue Victoria, which is really a full-time professional firefighters as a single entity and really refocus the Country Fire Authority back into volunteers and really supporting the volunteers who do such an enormous amount of work in supporting in particular rural communities, but also other metropolitan areas. So I think what's happened is that this is a, an evolution um, of how the fire services needed to really change in response to both the changing climate. So we've got, you know, different, different risks in terms of climate change and the impacts on the fire risk across rural Victoria, but also the change because really Melbourne has grown so much and the need for the full-time paid firefighters to work in the outer suburbs of Melbourne. So, you know, it was a very interesting um, time and yes, it was quite contentious and there was, you know, it's a very pretty tough union to deal with, pretty tough volunteers, representative body to deal with, but also there's a lot of people with... Um, passion in the fire services and so there's an awful lot of good work being done uh, and I think that that the new fire services reforms will serve Victoria well in the future. So obviously that was a really emotionally charged issue with so many stakeholders um, having really strong positions. What did you learn about leadership and, and stakeholder engagement during that period? So one of the things I learned about myself was that my leadership skills were transferable because really I walked in, you know, what do I really know about fire services? And so, but I know a lot about leadership. I know a lot about governance. I know a lot about management. I know a lot about accountability. I value integrity. I value working towards what um, is going to benefit the community. So all of those things, all of those real pillars that you have around you they apply in any circumstance. So for me, it was really, it was kind of nice to know that my um, skills can translate out of health into the fire services. The really important thing was to form a really strong team within the CFA. And there's a very strong chief fire officer in the CFA and we formed a very strong working relationship. And that really kind of, I guess, held me in good stead for working with the staff of uh, the CFA. I had a very good board in place who were very supportive, understanding how the board works, understanding how the government works. I guess I sort of understood the ecosystem and that was really easy to translate over. But the key thing was really um, forming that really strong team and understanding, you know, how to, I guess, use the power of the individuals who had the respect in the organisation. So I'm really clear, the Chief Fire Officer is the one that will manage in a crisis. He's the one putting out the fires. I'm the one running the entity and I'm there to support the fire function. So we formed a good partnership and worked very well together. And I think that was a really, um, I think it was beneficial for the organisation. You know, it was rocky, absolutely. There were moments, absolutely. But overall, it was, I think, beneficial for the organisation. And I feel like I was able to provide some stability and some beneficial leadership to them in a time when it was really difficult for them. Mm, mm. 
And then you transitioned into Bio and Health. How did that opportunity come about for you? Look, after I left the Country Fire Authority, um, I took a year off and kind of, you know, what next? And I did a bit of travel. In fact, you know, I think it was two years yesterday, I finished the French Camino. So I did um, a 750-kilometre walk in Mm. France, which was a fantastic experience. So I, I did some travel and did some thinking and was really open to what next. And then I was actually coming down to Aries Inlet for the weekend and I saw um, that the um, CEO of Barman Health had resigned and instantly I went, oh, that's the job for me. Um, I've always had my eye on Barwon Health. I think that Barwon Health is one of the sort of jewels in the crown, I suppose. Um, one of the things about Barwon Health that some people may not know is that it's, a, it's probably got the most um, comprehensive health services sort of under one single management structure in Victoria. So we're fortunate we've got a sort of the right size population to have a a tertiary hospital. So we've kind of got the high end complexity, but we've also got a very integrated service where we run lots of community health functions, aged care, mental health, and sort of like what people would know as district nursing. So we've got all of those community-based services as well as the kind of high end services, University Hospital Geelong. And it makes it a fantastic um, place to work because you've got this enormous diversity but you've also got this fantastic opportunity to do the right thing for the community and and to me that's been really evident through the COVID crisis where we've kind of got this capacity to quickly scale up to one or 200 intensive care beds if we have to but we've also got this capacity to go out and screen 10,000 people in the community when we need mm. to and mm. and that that's just a fantastic place to work because of that diversity but it's fantastic for the community and of course, we've also got, you know, a single university town, so we've got this opportunity of a very strong relationship with Deakin. Mm-hmm. So look, I, I saw the ad in the paper and, and thought that's the job for me, and, and I guess had my heart set on it, and then went through the, you know, usual torturous um, application process, and a few months later, I was fortunate to be appointed to the role, and I have started, it was just over 12 months ago, actually, 29th of April, I started. Mm-hmm. And I suppose during the interview process, you would have identified what some of the long-term opportunities and challenges were at that time. Do they still hold strong 12 months on? Yeah, so mostly you identify here the the huge benefits that we've got and we need this. We're really in a a place now where we're developing our five-year strategy, which is how do we um, identify some of the gaps, but also how do we utilise this fantastic resource that the Greater Geelong community has to do the best we can to optimise the health and well-being of the community. So there are, of course, you know, day-to-day challenges. They're always there. But I think we've got this chance right now to really think big about the future. So we recently put out a discussion paper that was Health 2050. So what will healthcare look like in 30 years' time? And if the healthcare, thinking about 30 years' time, what do we need to start doing now to make sure that we're prepared for healthcare of the future. And that's another thing that the COVID crisis has given to us as an opportunity um, where we've rapidly had to change our model of care. And so we're really looking very closely at, well, hang on, if we are able to do that during the COVID crisis, would it be better to do that in the future? So telehealth would be a good example of that or our increased services at home. So there's a, a pretty big reform agenda that we can push through, partly accelerated by the crisis, but also there's just general health care reforms that we want to do in the future 
anyway, growing population, ageing population, um, chronic disease being the kind of biggest issue that we need to deal with. So, you know, I, I personally um, feel optimistic about the future of healthcare um, for the Geelong community. And you'll always be, I suppose, on the front foot asking for funding and wanting to do more in our area, I suspect? Oh, of course, you know, what good public servant wouldn't? So, yes, absolutely. So the way that health funding works is, you know, this highly complicated morass. But essentially, we have population growth. And so what we will be seeking is to have funding that matches our population growth. But, of course, we also need to do our work, which is really about making sure that we're delivering the most efficient care and high-value care, the care that the community wants. And so we're also focused on those sorts of things. The other issue, of course, when people think about funding, they think about infrastructure. And, you know, we are certainly, you know, we've got some infrastructure works in the pipeline, so both funded and that we're about to undertake. Uh, We've also got the big women's and children's development. That's been an election commitment by government that we're well on the way to planning. So, yes, we will have, we, we have grand plans. Fantastic. And for the benefit of our listeners, do you mind just um, describing the, the sheer scale of Barwon Health in terms of the employees and the number of number of clients you work with each, each year and even the capital investments that you make to the region? Sure. So, look, we, we're about, we have an annual budget of around $800 million. We're the largest employer in town. We have around 7,000 staff. Um, that's about 4,500 full-time equivalents, but 7,000 people work here. Mm-hmm. So that's a, you know, biggest employer in town by a long shot. I think I think Geelong Council comes after us at about maybe 2,500 and, and then Deakin, or I, I actually can't remember who's second and third. But between Deakin, the council and us, we, we do employ a lot of people. In terms of the patient care, we have huge scale. So we have, you know, over nearly 400 residents in our residential aged care facilities every night. So we look after about 360 people uh, who really live with us, who call our, who call Barwon Health home, really. So that's a really large aged care program. We also, through our emergency department, would be seeing normally um, up to about 230, 240 people every day. That's a large number of people. We have probably, you know, over 600 acute beds and subacute, so rehabilitation and um, beds across our network. But we also have a huge number of community sites where we will um, do community health and community mental health services. So we touch most families in the Geelong, Greater Geelong area every year mm. and provide this huge breadth of services, anything from immunising kids to palliative care to emergency surgery to chronic care management to delivering babies we are one of the most integrated health services or comprehensive health services probably in Australia. Mm-hmm. And we touched on COVID, but it's important to, to work through how, how you've managed that process. I, I suppose it's been in stages, hasn't it? It was, you probably started getting some information at the end of February, the start of March, and that was stage one. Take us through those initial phases. Sure. So I, I sort of I remember quite clearly I a week in New Zealand in January and when I came back from my holiday, I one of the first things I did, this was at the end of January, was I contacted our head of infectious diseases, Eugene Athan, who's a professor of ID and got a good, um, very strong public health background. And I remember calling him and he wandered up to my office and I said, So how about this pandemic? 
you know, are we going to set up fever clinics? What's the deal? And he said, well, let's see. But that was at the end of January we were starting to think about that. Mm. And then we, not long after that, we started doing our preparations. So we instigated a new management structure um, for COVID. So we have an incident management team, a very small team, meets every morning or for a while met every morning at 8am and we would go through our plans and our preparation. We specifically took people offline to do that planning. What was our workforce planning? What was our infrastructure planning? What was our business continuity planning? What new services did we need to implement? How do we engage our infection control people in terms of dealing with all the education around personal protective equipment? So we kind of were well into that um, in February doing all of that planning and we we were fortunate that we had Building B across the road. Some people know it as Baxter House, um, the Old Geelong Private. And that um, has been vacant uh, for a couple of years. And so we quickly put some plans in place um, and we're fortunate enough to get some funding to refurbish that. So we've now got 50 beds over there ready to go. No patients been in them yet, which we think is a good thing, um, but they're ready to go um, should that happen. So we kind of were leapt into action pretty quickly in February. We had our first case in the local area, our first confirmed case in Barwon on the 11th of March. And, you know, probably things were building up in March and there was a lot of education and training and how do we isolate these people and, you know, how are we going to manage? What are we going to do if we have huge absenteeism rates with our staff? You know, a whole lot of planning that was going on. And then probably after Easter, I, I guess I felt like, you know, it looked like the curve was flattening. And we were able, we kind of felt satisfied that we had all those capacity plans in place, how to create extra beds, how do we turn a 25-bed intensive care unit into potentially 100 beds, how do we partner with the two private hospitals in town and Colac, you know, so we had all that planning in place. And then really our attention, probably since Easter, whilst there's a bit of tidying up on those issues, we really moved into, okay, so... There's going to be mass screening. There's going to be um, community outbreak management. And how do we really ready ourselves for that? Because that's really the big focus. And so we were fortunate that we, when we set up our screening and testing service, we did it out at Bowen Health North in Nor Lane, one of our new facilities. And that's been a fantastic resource because we can screen hundreds and hundreds of people there every day. I think we, we peaked at, you know, um, 500 or something in one day. So uh, we, we got a big tent, big marquee, so we've got a drive-through service and a clinic service, and then we set up some other pop-up screening services in some of our community health centres, which meant that when the Premier said he got a blitz and he wants 100,000 people screened, it was really easy for us. We just leapt into action, and during that two weeks, we screened 9,800 people, which is a... Fantastic effort. You know, that's a good share of the 160,000 that was done across the state. Mm. Uh, so that's um, really shifted our focus on what's the screening kind of realm now. And, and we've finished that blitz, but now that schools are open, there's a new blitz on teachers and that'll happen for the next few weeks and then it'll be something else. Because really the, the lesson now, the thing that I guess, you know, as leaders, what we need to do is look into the future and then translate that for our staff uh, and our communities is, how are we going to live with COVID? Because it's learning to live with COVID that we're going to have to do. And we need to do that until we get a vaccine. And that looks mm. like, you know, who knows, maybe more than 12 months away. Mm. So one of the tasks for us now is how do we adapt our services to make sure that we're providing the care we need to, but protecting our staff, protecting our patients and our community, 
and also being prepared to manage any outbreaks that happen because they will happen. You know, we've had the cedar meats episode and we've had a few episodes around and really the what we've what we've been fortunate in Australia to have is time to prepare ourselves for this and and that's a really important part of making sure that the government can open up all of the economy again and we're all keen to see that and one of the things that the government needs to make those decisions is to be assured not only about the level of the virus in the community but also they need you know, they really need assurance that health services are ready and prepared. And um, certainly from the Geelong point of view, and I think more broadly across Victoria, we are very well prepared. And no doubt there's a lot of people you'd like to thank and certainly you'd have great appreciation for the efforts of your staff over this period. Absolutely. So Barwon Health has got a, you know, one of the, one of the other good, you know, great things about Barwon Health is there's a real community connection in Barwon Health people live here and work here. So there's this real commitment to the organisation. And we saw that, you know, you might remember we had a bit of a crisis over cyber security late last year. And so we've kind of got this organisation that really knows how to step up. And so we've had fantastic support from the whole organisation and from staff, you know, across, you know, whether it's aged care or infectious diseases or intensive care or theatre, the services that have had to scale back and then staff have need to be redeployed People have been fantastic at being able to contribute. So, you know, I feel fortunate that we've got this really strong team that's really delivered for the community. The, the other thing I would say is I think the community itself has done a fantastic job. They've kind of tolerated some of the restrictions we've had to put in place. So, you know, we've, we've put um, restrictions on visiting, particularly in aged care. That's pretty tricky for families, um, but families have been really understanding of that because they know that we're doing it with the best intention for the residents. I think there's sort of two elements. One is more broadly the community has been enormously supportive of us and our foundation put a pandemic you know, philanthropy fund up and people have been generously donating to that. Um, we've had the community understanding all of the changes in our services. But absolutely, we have a fabulous group of staff here who I feel very confident and appreciative of the work that we've done. Terrific. And, and this pandemic, is, is, this, is it timely in the sense that it now enables us to probably face a, a pandemic in the future with much greater confidence, given we've had, um, we've had this case? I mean, there's been a few pandemics, you know, in the past where we've had, you know, H1N1 and SARS and MERS. Australia is fortunate to have an incredibly well-resourced health system and we also had the benefit of time and being an island so we had a few things in our favor but we do have a pretty well developed public health system in Australia and that's served us well so for some of it it was dusting off the old pandemic plans and and getting them out and and so we had lots of work already done but it is true that this is such a massive pandemic that What's happened is that we've been able to bring resources, you know, the government certainly brought resources in terms of purchasing medical equipment and the PPE, you know, supplies that they've been able to have. Mm. So that's been enormously beneficial and I think that that will benefit us in the future um, should we face another pandemic. And as a human being and, and, and someone who, who, who likes people, do you worry that other health systems that aren't as well resourced will struggle through COVID for, for a long time to come? Yeah. I, I mean, I, you look at what's happening overseas. You know, first we watched Italy and then Spain and then the UK and now America. 
and then Russia's starting. But, you know, I worry what's going to happen when it gets into third world countries, actually. Mm. Um, it's going to be enormous. And so, yeah, I do. I really seriously worry for those health systems. I worry for the communities and also for the trauma of, for the communities and the trauma for the healthcare workers. So, you know, there's nowhere else you'd want to be in the world right now except for Australia or possibly New Zealand. You know, there's a counter side to that, which is we've had a big economic um, shutdown. There's been a huge impact on the economy. Lots of us have got unemployed family and friends. And, you know, it's going to be a bit of a hard road back. But, you know, that's, you know, we've got to look at both things together. And we've had this huge benefit of not having that trauma and not having all that loss of life and now we as a health system need to make sure that we're well organized to protect the community when the economy does open up again and then when the economy opens up again we also probably need to just make sure we're helping people generally as a community adjust to a new sort of a new world order or a new way of living living with covid or covid normal as people refer to it Mm. i i think um, most people are incredibly resilient and can manage this, and we just need to acknowledge that it's been a difficult time and it's an anxious time, and we need to look after ourselves and each other in terms of kind of mental health and well-being. And I think that's getting uh, a fair amount of attention, you know, more broadly politically. And I, I think that more resources will come to support that in the future. And I think that's a good thing. Terrific, and no doubt that's important for businesses as well. I, I certainly know our members are very keen to to get more information on how they maintain the well-being of their staff and offer the flexibility that people need to reintegrate and get things back to normal. You mentioned the philanthropic fund. Is there? Would you like to give us a little bit more detail on that so our members and and the business community can have a look at that? And also, I was chatting to Zoe Waters from the Barwon Health Foundation. Is that another opportunity for businesses to be involved in? Yeah, so the Barwon Health Foundation is is really the sort of philanthropic arm of Barwon Health. It's a separate entity, um, but it's dedicated to supporting Barwon Health. And Zoe Waters, who's the executive director there, has you know done a ton of work uh, to really um, support us during this time. And they established um, a philanthropic, you know, a pandemic fund. And uh, we've had they've raised over a million dollars for Barwon Health, and that will support really important research projects and equipment and some programs. Really, it's the icing on the cake for us, where it's things that government wouldn't normally fund. So, of course, government's funded us lots of capital and equipment, but the funds that are able to be raised through the foundation really provide that extra level of care for us and and really important research projects that we can undertake. So that's been a fantastic initiative of the foundation and the community has responded really well to that. And, you know, what a great effort in something like eight weeks to raise a million dollars from the local community um, mm. for the local hospital. It's, um, it's, it's, it's great work, and they do do great work at the foundation. Yep. And now the really tough question, Francis. What yeah. does the next, what, what, what does the next, let's say the next five years look like for you, Francis Diver? And what's your pipe dream in life? Oh dear. So I'm just getting through the next few months. I'm just hanging out for my weekend away when they open up the world. I can't say international travel or anything because the world hasn't opened up. Uh, Look, I moved to Geelong. So, you know, my partner and I have moved here. We bought a house in Geelong West and we're pretty settled here. Uh, So, you know, my plan is to really stay in the local area and make, make a real difference for the Geelong community. I think, you know, that's where I'm sort of headed I guess in terms of early in my time here at Barwon Health and I really want to 
um, hang around and make a difference as much as mm-hmm. I can. So that's my uh, immediate focus. What I would normally say is I have grand aspirations for travel, but that's somewhat curtailed. Uh, so I think I'm looking at New Zealand at the moment as the, the best option for international travel in the next little while if I, if I want to use um, my passport. I've got two adult sons and um, they both live in Melbourne and you know they're pretty settled in their lives. One of my sons is a, an emergency department nurse at the Royal Melbourne and um, my other son works in the hospitality industry. So he's currently a job keeper but keeping himself um, entertained at the moment and you know he's hanging out for the for the the economy to open up again so I'm pretty focused um, really on my um, building my life in the Geelong area and really making a great contribution to Barwon Health. Fantastic now you've you've had extraordinary experience it, it really is I don't, I don't think I can understate that the experience with the CFA and now Barwon Health through you know really high profile challenges what are some of you know some of the tips or advice you can give young leaders or, or business owners impart a little bit of knowledge onto them for us so uh, i look you know as a leader I, I i have probably as many women leaders have that kind of sense of really how did i end up here so am i the accidental leader how did that happen mm-hmm. and for me my leadership is really you know about purpose so you know i'm really clear about what i am here to achieve and i'm really clear that this is about the geelong community so keeping really clear uppermost in your mind what are we doing here folks um this is all about the geelong community or the greater geelong community so for me keeping purpose uppermost and making sure that we're kind of reminding ourselves of that both personally but also when we're dealing with difficult issues so just Remind me, everybody, what are we doing here? What is the point of all of this? Oh, right, it's the Geelong community. So is this conversation or is this strategy or is this plan serving the Geelong community? So for me, keeping purpose up front is really important. The second thing I'd say is building your personal resilience is really important. Mm. And that's partially, you know, that, that's something that I think you can learn and you can develop about how to manage tough times or... Um, busy times or complicated issues is to be resilient and to be able to bounce back and to see the bigger picture. The other thing I'd say is you need to have good people around you and um, whether that's through the people you work with both inside the organisation or outside the organisation, it's really important to have senior people that you can bounce ideas off with and you know get feedback and get the support you need. I think those things are really important. And then the last thing is probably, you know, it's great to have a dog to go and walk endlessly on the beach and, you know, um, take a break at the end of the day. So, you know, those are really important things as well. And I'm fortunate to have, you know, supportive family and uh, friends to be able to also remind me to occasionally put that goddamn phone down and um, concentrate on something else other than work. Very good. Well, Francis Diver, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for all of your hard work at Barwon Health and thank you for for choosing to make Geelong home. Thank you, Francis. Thanks, Ben, and good to talk to you. And thank you to all of our listeners. I hope you enjoyed our fifth instalment of Thriving Geelong People with Purpose with our special guest, Francis Diver, CEO of Barwon Health. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Thriving Geelong People with Purpose. Let us know what you took away from this episode and to find out more about the Chamber of Commerce, head to geelongchamber.com.au.